Well, it's uh, my pleasure and uh, joy to introduce to you this morning uh, the Reverend Brian Howard. Uh, for those of you who do not know uh, Brian, he's, Brian comes to us uh, a while back from uh, the great state of Kentucky where he planted a church and served there for around 13 years. Um, he, he and his wife, Missy, and their four children uh, came to us uh, here at Clemson and the larger Clemson community to serve as the Reform University Fellowship International uh, Minister. Um, I have really enjoyed getting to know Brian and to uh, watch his uh, love for the church, his love for people, and for his uh, giftedness in coming alongside folks and uh, living in gospel community with them. And so we, we welcome him to this pulpit today. Pray for him as he comes. Brian, it's just a joy uh, to have you come and point us to Jesus this morning. Thank you, Steve, for uh, that introduction, but also uh, the welcome that we have received as a family um, into this new community. Um, what a time to move and uh, enter into a, a group of strangers and, uh, and new houses and uh, new everything. And uh, you have been, uh, so many of you have been so kind and welcoming us and encouraging us and praying for us. And uh, we are grateful for that. So it's good to be uh, here today and uh, the opportunity to open God's Word and share with you uh, a little bit of what He's been encouraging me with um, over the last couple of weeks. I also want to say thank you to um, uh, those of you who have um, prayed and um, actually served uh, as volunteers and worked with RUFI over the past 30 years. Um, a special thanks to Rick and uh, Beth Bronner um, for their leadership and the foundation that they have laid and our hope and prayer that as we continue to go forward that we will um, continue to build on that foundation that they have laid and, uh, and trust that God will, will get us through this, uh, this season and, and ministry can continue. So um, it is good to be with you. It is good to be here in Clemson and I uh, look forward to um, getting to know and uh, seeing all of your faces literally um, at some point and um, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, um, blew it in the garden um, when they sinned and decided to follow their way instead of God's way, God has been at work unfolding His redemptive plan for humanity. We know the promise of Genesis 3.15, for it's there that we see that God has a plan going forward. And it's the plan to send a redeemer, a seed that will come from woman and will redeem the works of the enemy. It will bring to an end the curse. This story of redemption unfolds in the Old Testament, always casting our eye forward, looking for this redeemer. So when we approach and get to the New Testament, the eyes are scouring the horizon looking for this promised seed, the Messiah, the one that would come and bring salvation to this world and set things right. This morning, 
is marked as the traditional celebration and remembrance of that day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Even as we heard the prophecy read just earlier in the service, Jesus will enter into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, ushering in His kingdom to loud claims and, 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 and rejoicing and calls to save us. And us, on this side of history, look back and are thankful for His salvation. But for those in that day that were crying out, save us, the salvation that Jesus was going to bring and the way that He would bring that would look a lot different than what they imagined. This morning, we're going to look at an episode that really takes place just a few days prior to the triumphal entry. The story of God's coming and His, His, His kingdom, all of that, it all connects and it's going to culminate this week as we celebrate His death and ultimately His resurrection. But this Messiah who enters on the back of the donkey who comes in this unexpected way, really does um, connect with where I am and where I've been in my life at different times. For sometimes, often, it seems that I misunderstand God's way. I think that He should do this, and He does something completely different. What I see as best for my life he doesn't necessarily see it that way. Anybody else struggle with that? I'll take that as a yes. So we're going to look at this episode, and we're going to see if we can find ourselves in this story and see if we can make sense of exactly what God is doing. And I do hope that you will find some measure of encouragement and hope in this passage to know that you don't walk down that path of uncertainty and unclarity and, and, and trying to figure out what God is doing, that you don't walk that path alone, as we'll find in this story today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 10, and I'll be reading verses 32 through 45, Mark is one of the Gospels. It is the second Gospel, so it's towards the back side of your Bible if you are um, figuring out where that might be. And I will read um, this passage for us. Please give your attention to God's Word. And they, this entourage that, that has gathered to follow Jesus, were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, 
and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to set one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Would you pray with me? God, I know that here in this room there are many who have spent a lot of time trying to understand your ways. And as we open this story, I pray that somehow by the power of your Spirit we might be encouraged to see that the story of our lives are not randomly unfolding as we see the purposeful story of your life. God, we ask for our eyes to see and faith to hear that you would take the truth of what is said and lift it high and that what is not true would not be remembered for your glory and the good of your people. Lord, I also pray this morning for those who are here with us who for some reason seem to have wandered into this place for some unknown reason. I pray that today they might find you to be faithful and beautiful and believable. We ask it in your name. Amen. Really three ways that I want to look at this passage today. I want to look at the unexpected way of Jesus to start with. I want to look at the space that Jesus really gives his followers to understand this unexpected way. And then finally, the assurance that he gives of his love. So first, the unexpected way of Jesus. Some of you are old enough to know who Ren McCormick is. Ren McCormick was that guy in the movie Footloose in 1984 that Kevin Bacon made famous. You remember Wren? He came from Chicago. He was the outsider who came into the city, this Midwestern city, and he was different. 
And he taught that city to do what? To dance. He taught them to dance and he gave them the joy that they had been looking for. And if you watched that show, you found yourself wanting to dance like Kevin Bacon too. Maybe not. Jesus was a revolutionary. Jesus was an outsider that came and brought a change. He brought a new reign and a new rule. And since His birth, His way has not fit real nicely into our conception of what a Messiah ought to be or what a Savior should be. Yes, the people for sure, they longed and they wanted a Messiah and the Savior. But the way that He was going to bring that salvation and the way that He was going to save them was not what they expected. You just have to look at His life. This, this episode here and even the triumphal entry when He comes in on a donkey, everything about His life was different. His teachings... His demeanor, everything. Consider a few of these things. That when he was in the wilderness, in the beginning of his ministry, and he was being tempted, and he knew that he possessed all the authority and all the power of God himself, that he resisted the temptation to use his power and authority to get himself out of that situation. He didn't take the shortcut. His target audience was the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, the marginalized, the social outcast, the physical outcast, and people with questionable backgrounds with a lot of baggage. The religious leaders of the day, for the most part, were against him. The untouchables of society couldn't stay away. His followers that he diligently, intentionally labored and prayed for all night before he went out and chose them were unschooled, ordinary men who ranged from impulsive to doubting to skeptical to betrayers a diverse assortment of personalities, I would say. The way that he taught us to live in his kingdom was backwards. He would say things like, the way of my kingdom and who I've come for is, not the, is for the sick and not the healthy. He would say that you were to be more concerned with what's going on inside than what was going on outside. He would say things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And those that would, that would be filled are the ones that would hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who of us prays prayers for those things? But that's what his message was. He said, don't retaliate, but instead forgive and go above and beyond. 
Real treasure is not here, but it's in heaven and beyond. Jesus, who in the very first part of this gospel shows up and brings his disruptive presence into the world. He's doing things like healing lepers. He's touching men with withered hands and making them whole. His popularity was growing as he would teach People would flock to him. Crowds would follow him. And as he was making his way and his final entrance into Jerusalem, this crowd has gathered around him and are following him in there, looking for this one that they think could possibly be the Messiah. This could be the one that we've been waiting for. And we don't want to miss it. And as he heads to Jerusalem to take this throne... They're excited because after all, if this man can stand up and calm a raging sea, then surely he can go out and call and and gather an army that will overtake Roman and restore Israel to its former glory, right? It makes all the sense in the world, except that what we see in our passage this morning is not Jesus wielding his power and authority, but rather saying that my way and my pathway to glory is unexpected, backwards, upside down, inside out, whatever you want to say, because what he is saying is that he is coming to give his life and die. For the third time in three chapters, Jesus describes what is going to happen to him. He does it in chapter 8, he does it in chapter 9, and he does it in chapter 10 right here. This account is the most detailed. Look what he says. First of all, we note that in this passage that he is leading them. And there's something uh, remarkable that, that is noteworthy about his leading them. It says that they were, what? Amazed and afraid. Then he pulls the twelve aside because those were his followers. Those were the ones that he knew best. Those were his, those were his peeps. Those were his guys. These loyal followers over the past three years. And he pulls them aside and says, this is what's going to happen. And that word there says, it's, it's this image of all these things are going to come together. And what we're thinking is, all the way back to Genesis 3.15. All of the events our history are culminating. The unfolding of God's divine drama. And he gives the disciples a peek behind the curtain. And he says, we're going to Jerusalem. And I will be betrayed. I will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and where I, where I will be condemned is a legal term that means tried and executed. Handed over to the Gentiles where I'll be mocked, spit on, flogged, and killed. He will be humiliated as a common criminal. And he adds, in all three accounts, three days later, I will arise. My point with this first point is really simple. 
in the minds of the disciples, this did not make sense. This is not what they were looking for. And for those who profess to be people of faith and who follow Jesus, we have all found ourselves in similar circumstances saying this doesn't make sense. I want us to come along and experience with these disciples this great tension of this unexpected way that Jesus is talking about. If not today, sometime you're going to be wrestling with this, with these uncertainties and this confusion that God brings into your life. The confusion and the struggle to overcome the false notions that we have of what should be the right way are deeply rooted in our hearts. I think that's one reason why Jesus has to say this three times to the disciples, and they still don't get it. All the way to the book of Acts, they're still not quite sure of what's going on. Maybe even longer than that. This is where I find comfort and would invite you to consider this morning. That as surely as Jesus walked ahead and led these disciples that day and pulled them aside and to inform them of what lay ahead for them and for Him, He still walks ahead of His children and is committed to going the distance for you and with you. And He gently and lovingly invites you to trust in His unexpected, unpredictable way. Just as He was asking His followers to trust. And what we know on this side of history, as we look back to what occurred, is that what seemed and what must have seemed so wrong and so backwards for those disciples and those followers in that day was actually God's perfect will. And sometimes for a season, His way is beyond our comprehension. And we are asked, to trust something that is more certain than our ability to make sense of it or what it looks like. So what happens when we lose sight and we don't see the unfolding goodness and perfectness of God's will? Let's look at the response of these disciples and how Jesus patiently works with them. A few years ago, I think it was the year 2018, a basketball player by the name of Jordan Bohannon was playing basketball for Iowa. They were in a game against Northwestern, and it was a close game, and it was coming down to the very end, and Bohannon was fouled, and he would go to the free throw line. This was significant because the next time that Bohannon would make a free throw, then it would be his 35th consecutive free throw. And that would put him in the school lead, or in the record books, for, for the most consecutive free throws ever made by an Iowa basketball player. 
He'd made 34, which tied the record of an individual back in 1993 by the name of Chris Street. And so with two minutes and 15 seconds, he steps to the line. The crowd, the crowd is, is chanting the, the Iowa Hawkeyes lead, 73 to 65. These free throws are important, but, but the crowd is chanting Chris, Chris, because that was the, the one that had the record. And his parents, Chris's parents, were sitting there in the stands. And Bohannon shot, and he missed the shot intentionally. He clanked it. On purpose, he missed it. No glory, only shame. Embarrassment. No grand headlines, no stop this game, let's make a presentation, awards, or anything. There was no glory. He missed the free throw on purpose. Jesus is announcing his impending death, y'all. He has all power and authority. And yet he's saying, I'm going to give myself up willingly and submit to this kangaroo court that is going to convict me. And kill me. I've thought over the last few weeks, what response did Jesus expect from these disciples as he said this to them? What were they supposed to do with this information? So I asked myself, how have I responded to information that I wasn't expecting? What did I do when I got the phone call that my dad had had a heart attack? How have we responded when we realized that life has been shut down or was going to be shut down, you were going to be wearing a mask, and life was just going to change and be upside down? What about that unexpected bill? What about that health concern and the test result? What about that house that needs to sell but won't? What about that strife and struggle in your marriage? What about that job transfer? What about that call that doesn't come from the job that you thought you were perfect for? What about that grad school that doesn't accept you? Or that internship that just doesn't seem to be coming. Listen, there are more than a few stories in the Bible of where unexpected things come to God's people and they are given the opportunity to respond. Do you remember Jonah? You know, the man and the big fish, Jonah? He was a prophet and he was, we, we believe, was faithful to do what God had called him to do. But now God was calling him to go to this place called Nineveh. And Jonah wanted nothing of it, did he? Instead, he chose to go to the resort city of Joppa. He resisted and ran when the script was changed. Or what about Abraham and Sarah? Remember, they were called out of that place called Ur, and God said, follow me, I'm going to take you to a place. And he was 75 years when God made a promise to him. He says, I'm going to give you a son. Woo, that's great. But Abraham didn't know it was going to have to 
It was going to take so long. And so what does he do? He takes a little control, right? He takes the pen up and he says, I'll write this story since you seem to be having a little problem here, God. Welcome to the world, Ishmael. But God keeps His promise, and in time, God does give him that child. But it was 25 years later. Turns out James and John and the disciples aren't that much different from Jonah, Abraham, and us. James and John aren't simply on the wrong page of the story. They were reading the wrong script. Their story was not about suffering. Their way to glory was down the path of power and position and control. And that's most clearly seen there in verse 35. When James and John, the sons of thunder, come to Jesus, it's not a question. It's teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. We would never do that. (laughs) In other words, Jesus, we've served you. We've given our time. Now we are ready to be served. But not just James and John and the the rest of the disciples as well. Look at verse 41. They were upset that James and John beat them to it. What is it they want Jesus to do for them? They want to sit at His right and left hand when He comes to His glory. They want to be in the top seats of the cabinet. They want, to, they want to be there at the Messianic banquet. They want to be assured of their future. They don't want to have to worry about it. They want the security of knowing that if this is, we don't really understand what's going on, is going to happen, then we want to know that we've got, we're, we're okay. We need to be in positions of power and leadership. After all, we've been a part of your inner circle. James and John want to be assured that they are going to be taken care of. So they have this honest solution for Jesus. Isn't that what happens in the unexpected? We think that maybe God has forgotten us. Maybe he, hello God, did you realize I don't have that money for that bill? I didn't, I didn't need new tires. Maybe he forgot that I was one of his. So I need to remind him. Help him out a little bit. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And they clearly they didn't. He goes on and continues to engage, which for me, I'm just kind of going, the patience that Jesus demonstrates to these disciples over and over again, is remarkable. But I think what we see Jesus doing as He engages with James and John is He's saying to them in His own way, guys, just stay with me here. Just just stay with me. I'm fully aware. But just stay with me. I'm getting ready to take the cup of wrath. And I'm getting ready to be overwhelmed under the weight of God's judgment. You don't get that. If you did, you wouldn't be asking this question. 
Don't we see that today? Don't we see our responses? Don't we see our actions? Don't we see how we today are so interested in being in those positions and being assured and being secure and being comforted and being provided for? Consider how in our marriages and how in in administrations and how in families and how in politics and government and how in driving and traffic, how often it's all about getting leverage and getting the upper hand and being first. The problem is not the desire. Please hear me on this. The problem is not the desire for comfort. It's not the, the desire and, and, and wanting security, the problem is where we are looking for that comfort and security. And what Jesus gently seems to be saying to James and John is, I want to show you something better and more beautiful. Nancy Guthrie, who some of you may know, tells the story of how her life and her husband David's life were turned upside down when the baby that they had prayed for, that they had planned for, and even named Hope, was actually born. Hope was born with major defects. The doctors told them that they could expect her to live no longer than six months. They had hope for 199 days. Nancy says, we loved her, enjoyed her richly, and shared her with everyone we could. We held her during her seizures, seizures, then we gave her up. Nancy goes on to write this. But because I believe God's plans for me are better than what I could plan for myself, rather than run away from the path He has set before me, I want to run toward it. I don't want to try to change God's mind. His thoughts are perfect. I want to think His thoughts. I don't want to change God's timing. His timing is perfect. I want the grace to accept His timing. I don't want to change God's plan. His plan is perfect. I want to embrace His plan and see how He is glorified through it, I want to submit. David and Nancy were forced to come to grips with whose story would end up shaping their lives. So what does your story look like? Where does it differ from the story that God is unfolding in your life? I'm not saying don't struggle and don't come to Jesus with longings and desires of your heart. I'm saying just the opposite. Do as the disciples did. Bring your doubts, bring your questions, bring your confusion, bring it to Jesus and let Him walk alongside you until it becomes more clear. For James and John... And these disciples, clarity was coming, but not now. And instead, they needed to be still and wait. And we know how hard that is. To wait for the end of the story. Jordan Bohannon missed that free throw. You're still wondering why? Let me tell you why. Because Chris Street, in his final, after his final game of his junior season, after he had made his 35th consecutive free throw, 
was killed in a car accident three days later and never had the opportunity to continue that streak. And so when Bohannon was interviewed after the game, he said, that is not my record to have. That's a beautiful ending to a story. It was uncertain, but now you know. Jesus tells his disciples about this unexpected way. He demonstrates this amazing patience, but finally he gives them this assurance to know of his love. Jesus is saying that the way the world thinks and the way you are going to live is backwards. You will be different. He says, my followers will not be those who are looking for ways to be served or relating to God on the basis of giving service in order to be served. That kind of relationship, while it may lead us to a place of power where others serve us, also leads to a great deal of insecurity. Because as we know, when you're in those positions, it's an ever-changing situation. Kind of a, what have you done for me lately? Jesus has come to offer a better way, a sweeter way, if you will. A way that while it doesn't appear to make sense, when he willingly gives up his life, in reverse, we see is the most loving way. Jesus says that he has come to serve us. The one that we should be serving came to us. Just as Conrad said, he initiated it and served us. You see, what's going to happen in the next week or so in the life of Jesus will be life-changing for these disciples. It will transform them. They will see His love for them and what He meant when He said that He came to give His life as a ransom. That as He takes His life, He pays the price to free them from the bondage and the enslaving powers that they knew. Yes, bondage to sin, but also the enslavement to things like approval of others, needing to be in control, wanting your story to be to the forefront, and on and on and on. And while we see clearly what is getting ready to unfold, these disciples do not have a category for what is getting ready to unfold. They are being asked to put their faith and trust in something they can't see just yet. Jesus has spent three years with those disciples demonstrating reason after reason that they have for trusting Him. And now at this critical moment, Jesus draws near, assuring them that they are not going to be forgotten. While James and John were concerned with their future and what was going to happen and where they would be and these positions and working to control their life, Jesus says to them in the final verse of chapter 10, that he has been thinking of his followers the whole time. 
He has been working to secure their future. He has been equipping them and preparing them for today, today for what is coming tomorrow. That He was in fact securing the future. Jesus has been at work proving His love for them, preparing them to live lives assured of His love. And you know it must have worked, right? Because all of these disciples, but one, would give their life as a martyr. James would be the first one. John would be exiled to the island of Patmos, where he would be given a vision of God's greater, fuller picture in his unveiled glory. You see, what we find in this passage is that while things may not make sense or or go according to the script that we have, what we imagine or what we want, it's going exactly as God intends it. And in the end, we have a sure hope that the fullness of His love, comfort, and provision will be ours for eternity. And because God has secured His followers, through His paid ransom, we can give up trying to fit God into our itty-bitty stories. And we can trust Him as He fits us into His huge, beautiful story. Some of you know the name Kara Tippetts. She was a mother of four, a wife of a church planning pastor in Colorado, and she began a blog on motherhood a number of years ago, and it was called Mundane Faithfulness. It's still uh, being operated. But in 2012, Kara was diagnosed with breast cancer. Her blog became a chronicle for her sickness and her eventual death in 2015. In her book, The Hardest Place, or the hardest piece, she writes about this experience. You see it on the screen. It takes courage. These are her words. Humiliating courage to step aside from our own sovereignty and imagined control and begin looking for the gift that comes unmerited. Yes, I'm talking about grace. Grace, by my definition, is the gift that comes unearned. In a world of unbelievably able bodies, where new diets are fashioned every day to keep my brand of story away, it is hard to realize you may be living in the middle of the best story ever told. The story of breast cancer could possibly be a good story, a great story even. It would be easier to shake my fist at the test results and scream that this isn't the right story, but to receive, humbly receive. The story no one would ever want and know there is goodness in the midst of its horror. It's not something I could ever do in my own strength. I simply can't. That receiving comes from the one who received his own, suffering for a much greater purpose than my own. Brothers and sisters, Jesus knows and understands that our desire to know and control and manage our lives according to the way and the story that we see unfolding. He understands that. But just as these disciples followed Him in faith and trust, we are invited today to follow in the same way. Not with all the details, but with this assurance that one day, as sure as the resurrection that He promised, To the disciples on that day, we too will be taken care of for eternity.
That is his promise. And that is the journey that together we as a community of faith are on. Let us pray. Lord, this morning there are those that are staring life in the face and what they see makes no sense. It's hard and every day is filled with moments of enormous challenge. Lord, I don't know what to say or have words or ability to bring comfort or even faith to these individuals, but I know that you do. And often that comes through individuals who face the uncertainties and discover that there is an anchor that holds in the storm. God, would you give my friends and my new friends that anchor that holds in the storms they face. Lord, also, I know that there are those who are concerned, like me, of being great. (laughs) And the pathway that this world praises is backwards from yours. Students are teased every day with a life of immediacy. Adults are tempted by the voice of success and the pressure to make a name. God, have mercy and grant us courage to slow down so that we can gain a right perspective, your perspective. Direct our gaze to the more grand and glorious story of your love and provision. And for those that are here today who do not have this hope of a better day, for those who only see life as a treadmill of activity where they have to make their own way, God, would you grant them much grace and bring them into your beautiful story. We ask all these things in your name.